0: Hello and welcome to Read It for the Pictures, the comic book podcast where we Read It for the Pictures. I'm Dave Clark, and with me is a man whose uncle played Wilson on home improvement, Neil Caput. How you doing, Neil?
1: Good. Today we have two comics, neither of which is Marvel or DC. The first is Shirtless Bear Fighter, written by Jody Lehep and Sebastian Gurner, illustrated by Neil Vendrell. The other one is Shining Armor, ROM vs. Transformers, number two, written by John Barber and Christos Gage, illustrated by Alex Milne.
0: Interesting picks this week. Uh, both were not what I expected.
1: Well, what were you expecting from a comic called Shirtless Bear Fighter?
0: Well, I guess I don't know. Image has been putting out a bunch of, like, interesting books that sort of have funny premises. Like there was what was it it was the god damned that they started oh, it should be a fair way along now which was supposed to be a noir set before the biblical flood which that sounds like a funny premise but they played that completely straight-faced and serious mm. and oh, you think i'd have more examples ready to go but no this is like straight up a comedy like not that far from what you'd see on Adult Swim. Before we get
1: into that, I have a very special announcement to make to the listeners. Alrighty. Listeners, at read it for the pictures. We're pretty much a two-person operation. More people may be added to the operation.
0: We're not counting the unpaid interns.
1: No, but I can promise you that if we do get get more people on this operation people who are women, people who are not your girlfriend or my wife, we will not sleep with them. And in the extremely unlikely event that we do, we will not blame it on the patriarchy. We will take accountability for the fact that we cannot keep it in our pants rather than try to salvage our male feminist street cred by... Saying that we caved into societal pressure, but we're still woke, all right.
0: Yeah, that whole Josh Whedon thing this week. Yeah, in a way, it's satisfying because I didn't think Firefly was that good, so it's somewhat vindicating to see the internet turn on him. But yeah, terrible situation all around. But it- I'm
1: still pissed about it. I mean, I didn't have any illusions anymore that he was like this woke nerd god i haven't had those illusions since i was in high school but to to find out that he did something like this and now i'll never be able to watch buffy again without wondering which of the actresses he was sleeping with
0: yeah but rest easy listeners because we're committed here to never using our podcast fame to sexually harass women that's a weird thing to say but.
1: correct Yes, our podcast fame will open doors for us, but we will not use it in a coercive fashion to open pants.
0: Yeah, but anyway, uh, moving on to the comics of the week, starting with Shirtless Fighter. Yes,
1: this comic is not what I expected either, but I didn't know what to expect. I guess we should go over the basic premise of this,
0: uh, yeah, there's a man who fights bears, usually shirtless, and well, he was raised by bet. Bear- well, it really, yes. like, this is the third issue of it, so I imagine some of this has been built up earlier, but it felt like a really weird run-on joke. Like, it started with him, with the main character, being held hostage in a toilet paper company. And his power is being restricted because they put a shirt on him. And apparent, like apparently, in this universe, owning a toilet paper company makes you akin to like a, a major tech company CEO.
1: Well, it's paper that comes from the forest. So the person who cuts, whose company cuts down the trees to make paper, is the evil corporate guy.
0: Yeah, and there's. Shirtless was raised by bears and he was kicked out and now he's coming back to save all the bears who are imprisoned in this toilet paper factory and their homes have been destroyed.
1: Yes, but he also hates bears because the bears killed his lover way back so he spent the rest of his life training to fight bears and it's... I get... I remember a few weeks back we were doing that non-wolf comic where I felt like they had the wacky premise but they didn't take it nearly as far as they could.
0: Well, that was this, like a serious comic. It just had a funny name
1: and a bizarre art
0: style. Yeah, this is
1: this is played totally straight but is clearly meant as humor. Like, it's completely deadpan humour. It's basically a B movie, and the B doesn't just stand for bear.
0: Like, it almost gets serious. Like, they have this, uh like, they, for the most part, it's flat colour. Well, not flat colouring, there are gradients, but there's not much in the way of lighting. Everything is just the colour it is. Until you get to this uh, scene in a cave where they're having a serious conversation around a fire, and just in case you thought this podcast hadn't like hadn't been rotting my brain, the first thing that came to me is this is exactly the cave scene from Metal Gear Solid Three. Oh, I've
1: gotten to you with the cult of Metal Gear.
0: Yes, so they're having a serious conversation around a fire, and it's like, oh, my wife died, and it's like, oh, this comedy comic's gonna get serious you turn the page and immediately there's a pixelated dick joke yes
1: there well even when they go back to the scene where his wife or girlfriend is murdered like the panels aren't really played like a serious drama scene it's got almost kind of a roy lichtenstein melodrama to it especially since when she dies in his arms Her eyes are open, and she looks kind of just like a Barbie doll with a bunch of ketchup splatters. And I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, but it does manage to keep the tone of this being so
0: serious, it's hilarious. Yeah, it gives it a bit of weight. It's not just wall-to-wall, weird, silly fight scene. Well, you have to
1: have the illusion of weight within your story if you're going to actually do a series that's comedic. Like, this isn't... This doesn't have the same tone as later Simpsons episodes where it's just trying so hard with everything to be as wacky and over-the-top as possible and is just... Incredibly tedious. Here, the story and art make sense within the world. Like, it's a coherent world with consistently defined characters. Everything's just of unbelievably bizarre subject matter.
0: You say, you say defined characters, which I'll give you that, but this conversation with the big bad guy strikes me as very similar to that, um, the villain in the Grumpy Cat Garfield comic we talked about.
1: Well,. First of all, we're in a political climate where the cartoonishly over-the-top corporate villains who have literal golden toilets and take a shit in them in the middle of their... Politics
0: warning. Politics warning.
1: Their monologue? Those guys are currently holding office, so... I mean, yes, he's not a particularly strongly defined villain. He doesn't need to be. And he's credible and i imagine that were he real he would have a position right now as the us secretary of forestry and wildlife
0: yeah it appears that his like his character is summed up by first you get the toilet paper then you get the power then you get the women yeah it's not a serious comic but it it made me laugh i did
1: get a few good chuckles out of it i'll admit I don't think the, if anything, I felt like the tone at times was too straight, like the opening sequence with the FBI agent's flashback with her trying to save her cat from a tree and as a child and falling to, well, of course she survives. I don't know about the cat that was haunting me the entire reading experience. I'm not sure what that sequence did to really further it. I mean, the cat was fairly cute,
0: but that she doesn't take orders and she does what she has to do to save everyone, which is what happens in the main story.
1: Right. Well, they're all they're all very broadly defined archetypes, and she is the FBI agent slash love interest ish. I would not be surprised at all if they she did end up falling for shirtless.
0: Yes, he's referred to as shirtless.
1: Yes, I assume he doesn't have a surname, but unless Shirtless Bearfighter literally is his name. But she is the one character who's played pretty much straight in character design, and yeah, yeah. to this book's credit, the scene where she's changing in the cave is not done male-gazily. Like, she is covering herself up while she's do- with her... Best while she's changing, and shirtless is fortunately looks away when asked. At least
0: going from this little bit of a intro with the female character, like you have the like the flashback to the childhood, and then you see her like sp- like spying down at the toilet paper factory. Like, it almost re- like plays a serious, and then you cut to shirtless, tied up, like his mouth stuffed with toilet paper, being interrogated by a bear with an eye patch. And, yes, that's when the book comes clean about what its tone is supposed to be. So I don't it's know certainly that.
1: a bit of whiplash for when we get, we're get we reading this as a single issue. I imagine that it's a bit of a breather in the wackiness in the collected story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Shirtless's shirt, the one that t- removes his powers... It says the right to bear arms and it has a cowboy who literally has big furry bear arms on it.
0: Yeah, it made me smile. It, yeah, it it's funny. Along with every single shot of shirtless like being tied up, he's just they're giving him the angriest face, like this insanely over the top exaggerated angry face.
1: Well, you'd be angry if in that situation too.
0: I kind of like how shirtless has a gigantic, thick beard that comes off his face. It is almost as big as his head.
1: But interestingly, the beard. First of all, the beard's solid blacks. I guess they're not trying to make it super realistic. They're. It's very much a cartoony construct and just completely dense. And it's rounded off at about chest level. So it doesn't go any further than that. It doesn't even. You don't even see bristles.
0: Yeah. I feel at a few places, they define, like, a bit of a, like, bristles on the side of it. But, yeah, mostly it's just a black blob stuck to the bottom of his face. Plus, you
1: don't see his mouth unless he's opening it. Like, he's kind of masked unless he's yelling.
0: Yeah. Although, it's... the black beard works, like, really works well in a lot of places because there's a fair few pages where um, spot blacks aren't really a thing. Like, the color seems to be Doing a lot of work to make the like fill in a lot of these panels because otherwise they'd be pretty bare. Hard in the pun.
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, they're definitely using the spot blacks when they use them very deliberately, like to create Mike Magnola esque shadows around the bears, the evil bears, anyway.
0: Yeah, it it seems occasionally they decide serious panel, tons of blacks, but for the yeah, but for the most part, it's yeah, generally line work with just a little bit of spot black and i
1: the art style is pretty simple in this, wouldn't you say like yeah. i i um I kind of felt like there could at times be more detail to help the story because like if you're going to play it so deadpan where it's completely preposterous subject matter but taken stone serious you could draw the bears more realistically Barry even as we see things like agent Silva kicking one in the groin with the the sub sound effect is lepra crunch
0: yeah the uh, i think the simplified style actually helps the story cuz like I'm just imagining a a comic about a toilet an evil toilet paper company ceo but drawn by Alex Ross, would come off completely differently.
1: I think that'd be just hilarious. I, I don't know if Alex Ross would have the knack to draw it that way, though.
0: Yeah, maybe, but I oh, I guess my take is that if you're going to have a story that seems sort of off the wall and half made up as it's going along, having a sort of simplified art style that doesn't get too noodly about um, certain details is probably the way to go about it.
1: Well, do you remember the Multiversity comic with Nazi Superman and how Grant Morrison had Jim Lee open it by drawing Hitler on the toilet.
0: I remember seeing that page, but I didn't read that issue.
1: Well, first of all, I should say now that it's kind of the only... the best way, the only way you can do a comic about a Nazi version of a beloved World War II superhero. And secondly, I think that it did use Jim Lee's style, which is incredibly nudely and detailed and serious, to effect with things that were meant to be preposterous. Hmm. Though the majority of that story was played somewhat straighter. It's hard to tell with Grant Morrison.
0: Ah uh, yes. How much of it is a joke.
1: With this it's pretty obvious that it's all a joke. The joke part of the joke is that they don't explicitly treat it like a joke. And, which is yeah. why I wonder if that kind of viewer might be better served with a little more realism to it. But then again, I mean, these are bears that move and walk like people. They're not quite regular bears, especially not Big Bear with the eye patch.
0: Yeah. Um. There is one nitpicky thing I wanted to talk about. Yes. Um, on page, let's see here, page twelve on Comixology, There's a scene where they, well, they walk into the office where all the bears are packing toilet paper, and throughout this scene, they've got um like tight lines for tiles on the ground, which like helps to set place, and otherwise it'd just be a bare room of the pun again, but because they've got lines for tiles on the grounds everywhere, it kind of makes some of the, like, perspective look really weird.
1: That's true. It's, well, the tiles don't really look like organic tiles. It looks like a grid set in an angle that they added stuff to after the fact. So yeah, that even just glancing at it, the perspective is a bit off.
0: Yeah, with this, if, um, In the middle of that, page twelve, with the two bears walking towards them. If well, that one's
1: definitely off. If you
0: extend those like the lines of the tiles up, they they meet a focal point, which is a fair bit above the panel. And because the focal point's above the panel, it implies that a viewer is looking down. But the bears drawn on the page, they don't like they're drawn as if they're being viewed head on, and so yeah, the perspective kind of falls apart. Whenever these tiles are around,
1: well, on the scene where Agent Silva finds shirtless, tied up, and shirted, the tiles are used more effectively. Partially, I've noticed that because when they have the lines on the tiles disappear in favor of shadows being cast, yeah, it they, works uh, yeah, they're better. not as
0: meticulous about the tiles in the interrogation room, and like that draws less attention to it. But yes. Perspective is tricky, folks.
1: I know. it. It's a relatively minor complaint in the scheme of things.
0: Yeah, but for this silly comic about bears and the punching thereof, it's not a deal-breaker.
1: No, I wouldn't say that. Also, I should note, just in terms of... A lot of this, the appeal of, from this comic podcast, I think, may come in the viewer imagining the kind of weird shit we're describing. Well, so, I
0: imagine like, all... all what, six of our listeners? They dutifully pick up the comics we say we're going to read and follow along at home.
1: Well, if maybe. I suppose we've given, by that logic, at least two extra readers to this comic. But a lot of it may sound funnier just hearing us talk about it, like when Shirtless is fighting his bear brother with the eye patch and. He's getting the crap beaten out of him, and he realizes that between between his brother and the other bears working for the logger, he needs to make a hasty retreat. He does a salmon jump up a waterfall.
0: Yeah, that is, that's just surreal. That's like some Monty Python nonsense. Well, he was raised
1: by bears, and part of bear life, I assume, is learning how to catch salmon. And in order to catch the salmon, you have to be the salmon. Though, ha- I don't know which other bears took it that far, but then he's not a, actually a bear. He's a man who learned how to be a
0: bear. Yeah. It, but still, it's funny. Yeah. I, I can imagine picking up a trade of this would be a good laugh. It would be. It's
1: It was a good comic, and I'm glad we read it. And if, if I was going to do a shirtless bear fighter comic, I'm hard-pressed to think of a better way to do it. I mean, maybe I'd do the art style a bit more serious and realistic, but then, I mean, I can't even imagine what this would look like painted by Alex Ross. So maybe you have a point there.
0: If I was going to change anything about this, I would make it more Looney Tunes. Really? Like like a toilet paper. Like, a toilet paper CEO and a man who was raised by bears—like you could almost play that off as a um, like a wily coyote roadrunner thing. Like, I mean, that's how I'd I do suppose. it. I suppose. But yeah, it's well, like part of the reason we have to talk about the story in these episodes—we can't just talk about the art exclusively—is because the art is a tool used to convey, like, that convey the story. And if you change the art, you change how the story is conveyed. So, well, without
1: the art the story is just a script just like how uh, it's the best script in the world won't succeed if the director and the actors and the cinematographer and the costume designer and the set designer aren't doing their jobs a comic can't subs- succeed without its artist
0: yeah but yeah like it's like the style that is a uh, used is part of this like how like the story that's told. So like this being exaggerated, cartoony and simplified is part of getting across like what the story is. Like this could be super bleak. But we're like we've almost glossed over the fact that this involves him telling a story about how his wife was killed by his like adopted brother.
1: Yes. And of course when he's being tortured by his brother In the toilet paper factory, he's like, tell me, brother, how does it feel to be weak, to be fragile, frail, human, just like her?
0: Yeah, and that sounds serious, but if you haven't read the comic, but he has this, but Shirtless has this really stupid, silly looking, like angry grin on his face. And so it just comes across as a surreal, like, it's surreal that his brother, his brother's a bear, by the way. Is like yeah, torturing a guy with toilet paper in his mouth,
1: and his face literally turns red when his skull is being pressed on by the bear's paws. So
0: yeah, but yeah, good read, funny read. Yeah.
1: Wanted As for call? the next one, yeah, tell that...
0: it. Rom versus oh, what's it called? Shining Armor, Rom versus Transformers. Um, yes. Yeah. You should let the audience know about your adventures into the Transformers recently. Well,
1: it was started as Morbid Curiosity at first, but then it turned into following it very closely because I went back and read the book that is credited with bringing a lot of attention to the Transformers as being a genuinely good sci-fi comic, not just a good good for a toy comic. And it was this series called... Transformers more than meets the eyes by a writer named James Roberts and the artist here Alex Bill and it really fleshed out the characters in the world far beyond what we'd expect and the art actually helped sell it because Alex Milne was so great at making the robots actually emote when we read an optimus prime comic earlier we couldn't really get who was who or what they were feeling or why we should care there's still the problem with transformers of them all having the same basic look minus color color and like which kind of vehicle parts they have on them in robot mode but i can give you an example like a big thing in More Than Meets the Eye, was the relationship between two male autobots, Chromedome and Rewind. And this is... They are a gay couple. They are explicitly shown as homoerotic. The writer just says that it's inevitable that when you have a species who 90% identify as male, there's going to be gay relationships. And they... But both these characters basically don't have faces. Like they have a slit for eyes and a blank faceplate. But the body language and the in the angles of the images were done so well that you could tell how much they cared about each other. and there there was like this scene in in the fourth volume when Rewind appears to be sacrificing himself to save Chrome Dome. As Chrome, after Chromedom has to watch him go down with the ship, he's like curled up in a fetal position. Just,
0: and... just to cut in a bit here, I, yes, as you can see, listeners, Neil has become a full-on Transformers fan. Um, but I, well, I haven't yet. I have dove too deep into that just yet. I've just got this comic and the one we read last time.
1: Well, we're reading it for the pictures. I don't expect that you'll care about this story any more than I did. And I actually didn't particularly find anything in the story that was more than just a comic. But I felt like the art was, at the very least, it has a very unique style of portraying the robot characters and laying out their world that I felt was worth your opinion
0: especially standing in contrast to the other transformers comic we read this was really good like there's lighting it uh it opens with a scene with um like the bad robots and the bad guys from rom talking and there's a sunset and the sunset is changing the colors on all of the characters they're not all just like bright blue and bright red like they would be on the toys and there's like directional lighting they've like they've set up like they'll be standing against the sunset and like half of them will be in like shadow and cast like casting a shadow it's like ooh, this is a step up from before and also it repeatedly does this trick where they cut to one of the robots in like faces like all like half really dark shadow and them saying something dramatic they do it for Starscream a little bit, and a lot for the the boss of the good guys, who is... Bumblebee? Not Bumblebee, the big blue dude, who's angry. Ultra old. Magnus. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of shots where they cut to a close-up of him with very dramatic lighting. And it's like, ooh, they're, it's like using comics and lighting and storytelling. Well, did you get a sense
1: of personality conveyed from any of the Transformers? With the characters from ROM, that other Tazbro toy comic property that I guess there are a lot of people who are absolutely crazy about it. It was well before my time, and it hasn't really surfaced much since, so I'm not one of them.
0: Everything I know about ROM is that it was a toy property that had comics done by Marvel in like the 80s or maybe late 70s. And because of a rights dispute, it couldn't be reprinted for ages, and everyone's was bummed about that because they like a few very vocal fans. But I'm not sure how much of that is like wanting what you can't have, and how much of that is it being a genuinely good comic.
1: I'm not sure if it's a miracle man situation in terms of quality or just in terms of happenstance, but. Yeah. The characters from Rom, the Space Knights, are kind of victim to the same problem even with Alex Milne drawing, like they still have the same face. They're all silver figures with glowing eyes and no discernible features.
0: Yeah, in the story I was basically treating them as all interchangeable. They've all got Yeah, they've all got this I guess Rom's deal in this is that he's super duper committed to protecting everyone. He's like yeah, he's a good guy and it's like we we must hold them back even if it costs us our lives. And they they've all got that attitude, so they all just sort of read as like, yeah, the same dude. But as far as the actual Transformers, like really there's Bumblebee who's bright yellow and a rookie. Um, there's Ultra Magnus, who is the asshole boss who seems to be fine with just killing people. Well he's
1: Basically played as the by-the-book cop who follows the rules with a Judge Dredd level of fastidiousness.
0: Yeah, he's yeah Judge Dredd's a good comparison. And there's um, Starscream, who's the evil guy, who's like a cackling supervillain. He's a bit more
1: complicated than that these days, because following the various developments in the Transformers universe, he's gone from being Megatron's scheming second-in-command, who's going to backstab him any second to being an independent figure with political clout on Cybertron. So he's as much a silver-tongued tongued politician as he is a cackling villain. Yes. And I think the expressions here really sell that, and how he's playing the diorites or the bad guys for Rom, those kind of Geiger-like organic creatures.
0: Yeah, uh, well, yeah, Bring back the expressions... Like, because, like, Optimus Prime, like, has this faceplate on him, so you've really only got his eyes to work with. But I believe all the Transformers here have mouth, and so they can have expressions, which... Yeah, and, like, yeah, there's Bumblebee, Ultra Magnus, Starscream, and the others. The others
1: are just subordinates to those three, though, so they don't really... You don't really need to read a lot into them.
0: Yeah, and also... Bumblebee narrates it so it helps you like okay I care about the yellow one he's telling the story here
1: and his face it bumblebee's
0: face is even
1: more expressive than the others the point of distorting kind of cartoonishly when scared
0: i imagine they expected like fans who had read the really old rom comics to pick this up so scaling back like the cast really does help a lot
1: it does it is a general problem with the Transformers having too many characters who don't have enough visual differences between them.
0: Yeah, but, but here, we've got to give Sprocket a line in this comic. What about all the fans of Sprocket? They're going to be... I'm assuming that's a Transformer's name. I just made it up. I'm sure it
1: is. Though I also think, like I've said, I've seen characters without faces, completely masked, done really well as being emotional. If anything, I find myself drawn to comics where characters who don't have faces who are or whose faces are constantly covered still manage to convey the full range of emotion and it's i don't know if i went on my spiel about how much i'm irritated by the fact that iron man now we always get the shots of his head inside the helmet Covered surrounded by like all the heads up display data, I felt like that was a cheat that robs the us uh, so of the chance to see like that in action to like well, see
0: well, yeah, like obviously it's a well obviously that's carried across from the movies where True. like they've got a big name actor in, and they want to show their f- face as much as they can in the movie, so they just cut to their face inside the helmet with with however much sense that makes, but indeed.
1: Yeah, does work better for the movies, partially because in the movies Iron Man is just a CG effect:
0: Well I guess before, like in the comics when they like they just cut to Iron Man's mask and he's like saying stuff and not really emoting you get a weird R2D2 effect we have to imply. Actually
1: beforehand out. they would often have like the eyes bulge through the eye slits in a way that is anatomically impossible. Oh, dear. So but it when there were definitely instances which, which I'll have to show you where the body language was used very effectively to sell what Tony was thinking and, and feeling.
0: But returning to Transformers, um I think yeah the biggest like tricks this pulls is having a reduced cast so you can actually follow what's going on um it has actual lighting like there's this like at the end they go to this planet and it's like just like dawn breaking and it's casting a color over everything there's a sunset at the beginning like there's a a few control rooms where everything's blue and some explosions where everything's cast orange which i think is one of the biggest helps to making this actually feel like a real thing and also, it has a fair few places where it drops the background to be all white, which, like, far from making it seem empty, it actually gives the comic a, like room to breathe because between these weird, like, eldritch, like, Frankenstein mutants and robots, like, there's detail everywhere in this. Like, the white space does a lot to manage that.
1: I remember you were noting with Jeff Darrow. That he had relatively simple figures but incredibly elaborate backgrounds. It seems to use the opposite contrast because there's so much to every little every character just looking at them.
0: Well, I would not say simple backgrounds. Like I've just randomly pulled up this page here of Ultra Magnus getting guns out of a cabinet, and those are all meticulously done.
1: Oh yeah, there and there's the opening spread and the wreckage, which.
0: Yeah, like the detail. They tell
1: do backgrounds just that when you mention like the white space, it works because it's contrast with characters where you can see all the mechanical detail, and sometimes it does become overwhelming. Like there's a scene where Ultra Magnus is going to hack something, and there's like a panel taken to show these little cables coming out of his finger oh, and i yeah. didn't know, i didn't know what that was at first i i admire the fact that it's there though like to show that these are robots and they're full of robot accessories
0: yeah oh, another fun trick that helps is that the rom characters seem to have rounded armor where all of the transformers have blocky armor
1: blocky but here they're still organic shit Shapes. They don't look like a humanoid form in squares. Like you can see blocks of armor, but you can also see mechanical joints and textures. Like with Starscream, there's a, his forearms are pretty simple, but the jo- you can see the joints. You can see that yeah. he's not just a set of cubes.
0: Yeah. So I'm not sure if that was a thing in the original ROM design or whether they've been smoothed down to increase the contrast between the two properties just for this comic?
1: It was kind of a thing with the original Rom. Like, he had a pretty blocky chest, but most of him was fairly smooth. This completely smooths him out, which also helps to make him and the other Space Knights different from the Transformers. Wraiths are even more elaborately organic, but they were always like, the weird alien creatures.
0: Yeah, in a way, we also have to compare this to Grumpy Cat Garfield like we did with Shirtless Bearfighter, because, like, this is also a crossover, and...
1: It seems like kind of a vehicle to help reduce ROM by carrying over on the Transformers' popularity, since it is using Bumblebee, a character who's pretty iconic in pop culture now, as the narrator... Puts everything from his lens, so it's okay if you don't know who the space knights are.
0: Yeah, this is more like an issue of a Transformers comic where they bump into Ron, into Rom, more than it is a crossover. I think. I guess obviously like, told from the from Bumblebee's perspective, and like the main like it starts off. Uh, I I guess the like the villain is like the villains are equally the Rom tran the rom villains and the transformers villains but yeah it um unlike grumpy cat garfield which sort of split it right down the middle 50 50 this feels more like a transformers joint with rom in it
1: well the 50 50 didn't work as well there because garfield and grumpy aren't that different from each other
0: yeah they sort of had to push them slightly in different directions but
1: sure. yeah it's still a tale of good good guys and evil guys in clearly defined camps, but they do manage to get some mileage out of the initial misunderstanding with especially since the clip hanger splash page at the end is Rom blasting a hole in Ultra Magnus's chest.
0: Yeah, but we don't like Ultra Magnus like I mean, I do because he's an asshole boss, and I think that's funny. but
1: in in the more than Meets the Eye series. He was played pretty well as someone who was gradually starting to loosen up a bit around the other characters. And this was also done because he had loyalties to another faction. He was working on their behalf, but he chose the Transformers. You're
0: losing me, Neil. God damn it. Why? He, He was going slowly good. Yeah, okay. Why can't I just leave it at that? It's moving all right. on. It's alright, eventually we'll do that Power Rangers episode and I'll be the insufferable one. Yeah. In a way, if Rom had, like, if the Rom characters weren't, like, straight down the line good guys, this could almost feel like a Poochie incident where, like, the Rom guys show up and, like, they, at the end, they shoot Ultra Magnus and they're the ones who save the Transformers from getting killed by their bad guys. Like, if Rom had, like, said anything, like, like self-aggrandizing in this, you just think, oh, they're really trying to push this Rom guy as being a super cool dude, hip for teen. Yeah, I guess because he, he just says boring stuff all the time, it feels a little bit more fair. Well, he
1: does, he does nearly kill Ultra Magnus and narrow down the good guy's camp substantially, so he's not as totally in my face as needed. If anything, the Transformers would have done better off if he hadn't shown up, and they wouldn't have just been wondering, where's Rom?
0: Yeah, where's Rom? But yes, that's enough Rom for now. Um, well, you're on a big Transformers kick. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about how things go with Rom. Okay,
1: but I wouldn't be surprised if he dies on the way back to his home planet. No, not Rom. Though so the thing is, with that... Poochie episode, like, everyone uses it to bash new characters who are being promoted too hard, whether they actually are or not, but nobody seems to mention the other fact that Itchy and Scratchy had lost popularity with the kids, and after Bart Bart and Lisa are watching Itchy and Scratchy classic at the end and commenting on how the show is back to how good it used to be, they just get bored and switch the channel, so... It's more complicated than it gets used repeatedly in various discussions over TV and movies and comics.
0: Yeah, I, well, yeah, the earlier Simpsons had a lot of hidden depth. but yes, uh, moving on. well, we're, we're doing a bit uh, something a bit different next week, aren't we, Neil?
1: Yes, because we realize that doing new single issues every week has its limits especially when we're dealing with material that is far outside of what's popular enough for nobody to care. No offense to some of the stuff we've reviewed. We're going to try doing whole graphic novels next time. In this case, we'll be doing the first book of 30 Days of Night by Steve Niles and Ben Temple Smith.
0: Yeah, um, instead of having to like find a few things in the weekly solicits where... Some weeks have been pretty bare. We're going to, well, at least for one episode, we'll see how we go.
1: This week was bare in a different way, it turns out.
0: Yes, I do say the word bare a lot, it seems. But yes, we're going to try like doing a few few just graphic novels that are fairly old, but it'll obviously have a wider range to choose from and maybe choose stuff with more distinctive art styles. And 30 Days of Night is a good example of that.
1: Yes. So if you have anything you're interested in seeing us review, you can also put that in the comments on the Tumblr page, on the SoundCloud page, or and just direct message us wherever we are. Where can they find us?
0: Yeah, if they've got any recommendations, they can hit up my LinkedIn, my MySpace. Um, I actually do have a Twitter. But yeah, feel free to let us know. And just... In- uh, if you wanted to follow along at home, um, it's 30 Days of Night Volume 1 is the exact name on Comixology, and it's also available on Comixology Unlimited.
1: Cool. but Yeah, yeah we're going to tr- try to focus on Comixology Unlimited, the subscription service that Comixology and Amazon now have, because it does get expensive to have to buy new stuff every week.
0: But speaking, but on the opposite angle, Where can people find your work that's completely free to view?
1: Wirecats, W-Y-R-E-C-A-T-S dot com. As of the time this podcast comes out, it'll finally be back from a two-week hiatus.
0: Ah, That's good to hear. And you can find my stuff at daveclarkart.com, and that's Clark with an E. And until next week, see you. Bye.